sustainable forest management is about environmental values, economic values, social values, and trying to embed all of those different things when you're doing forest practices planning and forestry operations around Australia or internationally, the Tasmanian system is held in high regard. And a lot of that is about our emphasis on planning before doing, getting out in the field, finding out what's in the forest before the forest harvesting operation commences. And that's a real unique part of our system. Hello, I'm Claire Bennett, host of the Original Thinkers podcast, where we take a deeper dive into what it takes to have an original thought the impact of it and how it endures over time. At a time when original thinking could not be more important, I'll be talking to some of our country's leading minds about their creative process and about how creativity can improve lives and make a meaningful difference. On today's episode, I speak with Anne Shooter, Tasmania's Chief Forest Practices Officer. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for having me, Claire. So what is the Forest Practices Authority and what is its role? The Forest Practices Authority, or FPA, is the independent watchdog, if you like, of Tasmania's forest practices system. We're responsible for regulating forest practices across the state. Forest practices can be anything from harvesting and growing the timber, clearing trees, clearance and conversion of threatened native vegetation, and all the stuff that's associated with doing those activities, like building your road and the access to the forest. The Forest Practices Authority itself, we're a small organisation, I think it's about 18 of us, and obviously my role is to head up that organisation. We're governed by an independent board of directors, and that gives us a really great independence, and that's really critical to the model that we have in Tasmania. The FPA is responsible for a whole lot of things, but primarily all of our duties and our roles are about furthering the objectives of the Forest Practices system, if you like and that being primarily undertaking sustainable forest management with due care for the environment while taking into consideration economics, social aspects and environment. So all of our tasks are built around furthering that objective. We do a number of things. Uh, We have a strong compliance and regulatory role, as I'm sure you'd imagine, but we also really build on all of those things at the bottom of that compliance triangle. What is your background then, Anne? Like, How did you come to be in such an important and very significant role in an industry that, you know, regulation and sustainability has been contentious in the past and it would take an incredible amount of skill to navigate. How did you end up here and and what's your role? Good question. So I am a Tasmanian and I've worked in Tasmania all my sort of professional life pretty much. My background is as a botanist, so I did botany at UTAS and even through that degree I was very obviously better in the applied space than the academic space and I was lucky enough in my honours year to stumble across a project that was supported by the Forest Practice Authority and Forestry Tasmania. They supported this project looking at tree fern ecology in areas that were subject to timber harvesting. So I did that project and what they did was open the door to that sort of applied ecology role working in industry and enable me to develop a network of contacts in the industry. That really developed my love for trying to match science with practical on-ground solutions and that's really how I ended up in the FPA. I'm really keen and dedicated to look for pragmatic solutions that achieve the best thing we can for the environment within a forest system. So it's all about balancing all those different values and that's where I focus a lot of my um, work. So 
Long story short, I ended up getting a job with the Forest Space Authority as a botanist. Had some great mentors in that space, the likes of Fred Duncan, who people in the botanical community of Tasmania would know his name very well, and developed my skills and expertise in that space. Went and did a few other things along the way, but eventually landed the role of managing the biodiversity program at the Forest Practice Authority. And that's really where I started to develop more of an interest in that policy space and looking for solutions to commonly encountered problems that we get in Um, a forestry space, which is primarily around trying to match or sustainably manage that triangle of environment, social and economic values. And Mm. that's, that's a constant challenge. So I really found that that's where I like to work in that space and looking for solutions in a collaborative manner. And in terms of how I land in the current role of Chief Forest Practice Officer, FPA offers this really unique place to work in that you get a chance to really make a difference Mm. and as someone with a strong ecological background but really keen on those pragmatic approaches that offered me you know the best sort of fit for my skill set but also my aspirations and being in the Chief Forest Practices Officer position gives me more ability to influence and um, really make a difference in this space so that's what sort of drew me to the position and I was lucky enough to get it. The role of the Forest Practices Authority is crucial in sustainability in forestry. Can you tell us a little bit about how the system works? What is the rigour around the system that sits behind the sustainability of the timber that comes out of our system? Uh, It's a good question. So the Forest Practices system applies firstly across all of Tasmania. So it's what we call tenure blind. That's quite unique because it means we apply the rules Uh, no matter what tenure on, so public and private land, the rules apply. The Forest Practice Authority is part of the system and it's all covered by what's called the Forest Practices Act and that's the primary piece of legislation. So the Act makes the Forest Practice Authority and the authority has a number of functions and one of those is to make a code of practice called the Forest Practices Code. That code is quite prescriptive and sets the standards for forest practices in Tasmania. And the authority is then this independent regulator that comes in over the top to make sure that these standards are met across the industry. So our system in Tasmania is what we call co-regulatory. And it's really important that we emphasise the co-regulatory part of that. It's not a self-regulating system, it's co-regulatory, but it relies heavily on self-regulation by the industry with this independent oversight. And that co-regulation is a really good system if it's about getting a collaborative effort to achieve the best outcomes because you're leveraging the expertise that are in the industry to achieve really good on-ground outcomes. To enable that co-regulatory approach, we have people working in the system who are called forest practices officers. So forest practices officers are trained and accredited by the FBA, so by the independent regulator, And when they're exercising their delegations that are given to them by the FPA, they're essentially there to further the objective of the Forest Practices System. So what that means in practice is that the Forest Practices Authority actually has quite great reach across the state because we've got these 160-odd FPOs out there all working to further the objectives of the system and to help with that sort of adaptive management process and to make sure that we can get messages around new information out faster, the system becomes flexible, it can adapt quickly and can be practical. Uh, So all of those things are really a great way to further that objective of sustainable forest management with due care for the environment. And that's 
without going into too much detail, that's probably how the system works overall. And then the FPA comes in to fulfil a number of functions around that independent monitoring. So while the industry itself will do a whole lot of checks and balances along the way, the FPA then oversees the industry through an independent lens and it provides that independent oversight in terms of monitoring of compliance. It also has levers it can pull in terms of investigations and enforcement of the standards. But also, as we talked about before, all of those other skills that come in around providing the industry with specialist advice, providing the industry with training and education, communicating about the forest practices system, that's all part of the functions of the FPA and what makes the system as a whole function towards that objective of sustainable forest management. It's a very intricate system, isn't it? How rigorous is it compared to other forest practices systems, perhaps in other jurisdictions, whether they're within Australia or other countries around the world? There's a lot of difference in how forest management happens across the globe. There's some really good papers out there if people are interested in reading about, you know, global comparisons between Tasmania and and other states and other parts of Australia. I guess as a summary, it's that independent regulator, the tenure blind system and that co-regulatory approach that makes Tasmania system unique. But on top of that, Tasmania is quite prescriptive. So our code actually has a lot of standards embedded in it that do everything from, you know, how you access the forest to do your timber harvesting, what type of operation you can do, the standards you have to meet in terms of reforestation, through to how you manage your special values, like your biodiversity values, your soils and water, your cultural heritage. They're all embedded in this quite prescriptive code of practice. And then Because of that co-regulatory model coming on top of it, that flexibility to adapt quickly to new information, again, makes that system quite unique and makes it adaptable and flexible and dynamic. And that's the really exciting part of Tasmanian Forest Practices System because it is responsive. I've heard you speak before on Tasmania's Forest Practices System and you've sort of come back from conferences around the world and you've talked about just how highly regarded the system is within people who really understand and know forest practices and sustainable forest management. Is that your experience travelling around the world that this system is sort of held in really high regard and that it is quite well respected? I laugh a bit at travelling around the world. I think I've been to two different countries to talk about (laughs) Tasmania's forest practices system. But yes, the short answer is it is held in high regard. And a lot of that, in my experience, is about our emphasis on planning before doing. So uh, we have a big emphasis on getting out in the field, finding out what's in the forest before the forest harvesting operation commences. And this planning stage can take quite a long time and can be very detailed. And That's one of the big things that I've found in talking about the Tasmanian forest practice system around Australia or internationally is that emphasis on actually finding out what is there and putting all of that emphasis on planning before doing to make sure that the forest operation is planned appropriate to the values that are present at both the local scale, the coop scale as we call it, as well as across the landscape. And that's a real unique part of our system. And sometimes that planning, we're not talking sort of three months before you get in there, it can be years, can't it? Definitely it can take years and it will depend on the complexity of the values present, the type of operation that's being done and all of the other bits and pieces that go into planning an operation. They will all impact on how long it takes and I think that that's a real bonus of the system is that all the people out there planning forest operations take the time 
and it's important they take the time to do the planning getting it right because those plans are audited, they're monitored and there is an expectation that these standards will be met. So you have to find out what's there in order to meet those standards and to tick all those boxes in terms of compliance with the forest practice system. For me, the really interesting part about what you've just explained is that I think perhaps sometimes there's a misunderstanding that sustainability in forest management is just about making sure the same volume of trees come back. But it is so much more involved than that, isn't it? And I think people often have questions when we say, oh, no, but, you know, the the trees are regenerated and the forest will return to the same sort of volume. But people are like, but what about the animals? But what about the biodiversity? But what about the water quality? And I think it would just be really interesting to hear you elaborate a little bit more on the rigour around all of the forest values that our system encompasses. Yeah, sustainable forest management is about environmental values, economic values, social values, and trying to embed all of those different things when you're doing forest practices planning and forestry operations. I'm probably going to lean heavily on my biodiversity knowledge here, but there is a lot of rigour around accounting for special values. And by special values, we can be talking about anything from the water quality in your coop to threatened species habitat to cultural heritage on site. All of those things are taken into consideration through your planning of the forestry operation. So the Forest Practice Authority, in consultation with the industry, has developed these standards. And then we provide the industry with a suite of planning tools that are linked to the standards and they help guide the industry on how uh, you might design a forestry operation to appropriately manage these special values. So uh, we have a big emphasis on getting out in the field, finding out what's in the forest before the forest harvesting operation commences. That could include everything from having to undertake on-ground surveys to look for threatened plants, mapping your streams, finding out what type of soil you've got there, mapping out different vegetation communities, looking for um, nests for mast owls, aerial searches for nests for wedge-tailed eagles, turning over logs looking for snails or invertebrates. All of these things are accounted for in pretty much every forest practices plan, whether you're on public land or private land, whether you're working in native forest or plantation. So it is quite a rigorous process of checking and evaluating and appropriately managing special values. Each plan is obviously completely unique and it'll put an exclusion zone here and it really maps out, well, this is what you can harvest, this is what you can't harvest. Say, for example, there was an eagle's nest found, what would be the outcome in a forest practices plan for that forestry coop? Depending on what values you find, you'll have different retention requirements. So, for example, for an eagle's nest, you will have an eagle's nest reserve requirement, so that's a minimum 10 hectare reserve. And then on top of that, you've got a whole lot of constraints during the eagle breeding season, so to not go too close to the nest and risk disturbing that nest. And then you can go down to, it could be patch retention for, say, a threatened plant or individual tree retention for, say, a species that likes hollow-bearing trees. There might be a requirement to retain patches or individual mature trees for that species. So it will depend completely on the values that you find and the management approach that has been developed to take consideration of that value. I suppose the key question is for architects, timber specifiers, anybody wanting to utilise timber that's coming out of Tasmania's forests, 
can they be confident that this system is producing sustainably managed timber that they should feel confident to use? The take-home is that there is a system and it's a rigorous system and it's a system that's designed around planning before doing, so really checking what you've got there to make sure you get it right. Something I'm really passionate about is adaptive management. So there's no doubt, no matter what system you're working in around the world, there's always room for improvement as new information becomes available. So the good thing about the Tasmanian Forest Practices System is that it is built around an adaptive management framework. So everything we do for, say, threatened species is built around a framework to be able to adapt it if new information comes to light that suggests that the management approach we're doing is not effective or that we need to do something slightly differently. And the Forest Practices Authority actually has people who work on research projects and undertake effectiveness monitoring to feed back into that adaptive management cycle. So they're actually collecting information on how effective our management practices are and collecting new information about particular values to feed back into the system. And that's not just happening at the FPA, that's happening in other research organisations in Tasmania. But we're able to collect that information, feed it back into the system to make sure we're on a continual improvement um, pathway all the time. Obviously, in the news recently has been that Victoria's native forest system has been closed or will be closed from January 2024. Were they operating under the same system as Tasmania or is ours a different system to what they have happening there? I don't know a lot about Victoria's forest system, but there are probably some critical differences and I think it's that tenure-blind independence of the FPA and the rule sets applying to both private and public forests. I guess in terms of understanding how Tasmania shapes up in the future, that's a really big question and something I probably can't really answer. I guess what I focus on in this role is, you know, we've currently got a native forest industry in Tasmania, we've got independent FPA and a forest practice system. And the way I see my job is I'm responsible for helping the FPA regulate the system to the best of our ability, whatever system that is and whatever industry we've got, we'll do the best we can to achieve that objective of sustainable forest management. And it's interesting as well that in Tasmania, obviously this system is a blanket system that covers plantation and native. And there are certainly some people who perhaps have a preference for plantation timber over native species from an environmental perspective. But to what extent do the two differ, you know, plantation and native forestry from a biodiversity perspective? Mm. And, I mean, there's still the big question of, well, if we're going to move to plantation, where would it all go? Do you know what I mean? Where would we put those plantations? And so obviously there would be rules around that as well. Can you explain a little bit about the difference between perhaps plantation and native forestry and do you see them as having different benefits from an environmental standpoint? Yeah, they're definitely different ecologically. Plantation is a single species, often planted in rows, and it's there for the purpose of timber production. How it comes about is it's either planting eucalypts or pine species on cleared land, or quite a few years ago now, native forest was converted to being a plantation. It varies in its biodiversity, so it depends on where the plantation is in the landscape as to how biodiverse it will be. As a general rule, it doesn't have as high a biodiversity as a native forest, even a regrowing native forest. And that's because native forests will have multiple different species. They often have more of an understory. Depending on the type of silviculture that's been applied, the type of timber harvest that's been applied, you can have multi-aged structure in your native forest, which obviously then caters for biodiversity that likes older trees Mm. and biodiversity that likes younger areas. 
So they do differ in terms of growing the plantation estate. Tasmania has a policy called the Permanent Forest Estate Policy and under that policy there's no more broad-scale clearing of native forest to plantation. So the only place for plantation now is that broad-scale level is on already cleared land. So uh, again, that would depend on the wishes of the owner of that cleared land in terms of expanding the plantation estate. And then there is in Tasmania a state of the forest report that comes out, isn't there? How often does that come out and what does that tell us about the state of Tasmania's forests? So that's a report that comes out every five years and it reports on the sort of the previous five-year period. It's produced by the Forest Practice Authority but with a whole lot of help from other organisations and other parts of government. It's the fifth one that we've done. So it is essentially a snapshot of Tasmania's forests uh, at that point in time. But because we've done many of these reports now, it also starts to report on trends, like Mm. what we're seeing in our forests over time. This year's report showed a few different interesting things. It showed that, you know, Tasmania is maintaining a forest estate. It has a lot of our forests are in reserves. We're starting to see trends in the carbon space. That's an emerging story. We saw a decline in plantations, particularly on private land, over that five-year period. But it's a big snapshot of the state of Tasmania's forests at that point in time. And it's a very big report. It reports on sustainability indicators, but the FPA also produces a little booklet that's a much easier read and much more visually able to, you know, capture that information. So we do have those booklets available if anyone wants to read them. And that's available electronically as well, isn't it? So we can give people a link from the podcast page. And so just as a summary to what has been found over those sort of 25 years, is the health of the forest in Tasmania good? Like are the trends positive trends for the most part? I think across all indicators, it's a good story. Obviously, you always find areas for improvement. So, for example, the amount of investment in research, you know, government-funded research has decreased over time as the model has changed. It doesn't mean there's less research going on, but some of the areas to focus on in the future have been highlighted, such as forest health monitoring. So that's like the pests and diseases monitoring, adapting to the result of the changing climate on our forests is another big one that's starting to emerge. So we can sort of start to predict where we need to focus our efforts when we start to see these reports over time. I think for me, the key takeaway from listening to you speak today, it's all very complex. (laughs) The system's very complex and we've asked and answered some big questions, but the key takeaway for me is, wow, you're on top of it. (laughs) You know, like it's really with the reporting and the monitoring and the forest practices officers, 160 of them on the ground out there being the watchdogs in the forest. It's not a case of, you know, foresters out there doing their own thing. It is a very highly regulated system that really does have a premium on sustainability and making sure that we're doing as an industry and the independent watchdog, I suppose, for want of a better word, this constant improvement and effort to make sure we're doing the best job we possibly can. Look, I'm probably biased in my view of it, um, but I think that the FPA and the forest industry, the FPOs out there and others 
we punch above our weight in terms of how we care for environment. I don't think there'd be anybody working on the ground in the industry who doesn't care about the forest and doesn't want to leave the forest in a good condition. So that's a real strength of the system is that people are motivated and it kind of goes back to that co-regulatory model that by having the industry doing as part of a collaborative approach, it also means that they are really motivated to achieve high standards and that's what we see across the industry, which is uh, really pleasing. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Anne. I think I've certainly found that really interesting, even though I have a good understanding of the industry in Tasmania. Every time I speak to you, I learn so much more. Uh, I think just um, for those who are interested in knowing about the Tasmanian forest practices system, visit our website, come and ask us. We are undertaking a big push to try and increase the public's awareness of the Tasmanian forest practices system and the role of the regulator. So We are open to opportunities to be able to tell people about this system. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you for your time. It's been really fabulous. Thanks for having me, Claire. Make sure to check out the show notes at originalthinkers.com.au where you'll find further information and links to everything we talked about on today's episode. Thanks also to the sponsors of this episode, Original Tasmanian Timber. Make sure to visit tasmaniantimber.com.au, the ultimate resource for architects, designers and anyone interested in local, sustainable and beautiful timbers. And Britain Timbers. Britain Timbers are timber experts specialising in delivery of timber for residential to large-scale commercial fit-outs. In addition to the highest quality products, Britain Timbers provide exceptional timber solutions to specifiers. Visit britantimbers.com.au. And finally, thank you for joining me. Join me next time when I speak with Honor Flindel. Honor is an award-winning architect and chief executive officer for Oslotra, a Norway-based architecture practice. Because we're timber-focused, we're very concerned with what surfaces you touch. The experience of your feet on a floor will feel much warmer if it's a timber floor than if it's a tiled floor. That's about conductivity of the materials, right? So the timber will reflect the heat back at you, whereas the tile floor will drain that heat from the soles of your feet. You have to have a higher temperature overall for it to be experienced as a comfortable space to be in, whereas in a timber building, because it has that reflective ability, you can lower the overall temperature.